Welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Hello and welcome to episode 39 of the Agents of Innovation podcast. I am your host, Francisco Gonzalez, and we have a great one for you today. I was up in New York City uh, a couple weeks ago and caught up with Spencer Pittman, who uh, is with a group called The Ready, and we're going to learn more about Spencer and The Ready uh, shortly. But I uh, just wanted to thank you again for listening, and uh, please uh, share this podcast with friends, neighbors, colleagues. Uh, you are helping to spread the word about the Agents of Innovation podcast. You can point them to our website, agentsofinnovation.org, where all the episode archives, along with a blog for each episode, is up at agentsofinnovation.org. Also, you can share on iTunes or Stitcher, where you can find this podcast, and that's probably where you're listening as well. And we're also available on SoundCloud. So uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you haven't done so already, please go and like our Facebook page. Um, you can type Agents of Innovation Podcast in the search bar. You can follow us on Twitter at Agent Innovation or find us on Instagram at Innovation Radio. Uh, again, all this can be found at agentsofinnovation.org and really appreciate you listening. Um, at the end of this episode, we're also going to have a song played by one of our previous guests, Paul Fow, and that's Fow, P-F-A-U. And um, he has a fairly new song out called Statues, which um, uh, I hope you will enjoy. And, you know, we were just in New York City where there's many statues, including the Great Statue of Liberty. So why not have the song Statues by Paul Fow? So that'll close out the podcast after our interview with Spencer Pittman. Speaking of which, let's get to that. Okay, well, the Agents of Innovation podcast is in New York City this week, and we are catching up with Spencer Pittman. Spencer, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, man. Stuck to be here. <laughs> well, um, thank you for inviting me to your space here. You guys work out of, is this called New House? Noia House. Noah. Noia House. Well, I already butchered that, <laughs> so uh, I'm, not, I'm just going to let you say that, and uh, now, Spencer, um, I met Spencer uh, a few years back. I'm going to give a shout-out to my good friend, our mutual friend, Dan Dawson. Uh, Dan had introduced us, um, I don't know, four or five years ago maybe now. And I know you were doing some great stuff in Jacksonville where you were born and raised. Yep. And now you're here um, in the Big Apple. Uh, but tell me, uh, you're, you're now with uh, a company called The Ready. But tell me a little bit about your background and what, um, what, what was your background coming here before you, before you, you came here to The Ready? Cool. Yeah, uh, I think when we met, it was in the context of the work that um, Dan and I were both doing back when he was with the Chamber of Commerce at in Jacksonville, and I was involved in the, the kind of nascent technology community there. Um, there was a movement in the city to to start investing, and in both from a public uh, money standpoint and a kind of part of the private, um, both investor community and just sort of social support network into this kind of series of opportunities that have been presented um, via technology and, you know, the emergence of the internet. Um, so I had arrived back in Jacksonville after um, a stint in the western United States and California and, and Colorado based in Boulder. Um, I'd spent a lot of time uh, 
consulting and working in growing and advising startups out there, doing some investing myself. Uh, never really had any notable big success, but uh, you know, I built some products um, as a contractor for the, the government. Um, really, more than anything, just spent a lot of time learning about uh, how to how to do uh, ground up technology development, both the hardware and software space. Uh, came back to Jacksonville. Dan and I met, started working together on a, a number of different things. Uh, we're sort of centered around the OneSpark movement. I don't know if that's even still like a thing in Jacksonville, but I see it. I don't know if it's as large as it was when it was a few years back, but yeah, I, yeah. I think I actually remember. Maybe that's where we actually met. Was at the OneSpark event. Yeah. I think it was. Yeah, and I mean, you know, say what you will about things that like don't work out or don't scale, but I, I, I think that definitely mobilized a lot of a lot of energy in the city, which was cool. I definitely have some relationships that I still maintain that I met through that group of people. So uh, I think credit credit to that. Um, I was at the same time building a, a consultancy. Um, at the time we were really focused on building innovation labs for large corporate entities. Um, I developed some expertise in uh, on the technology side scaled computing and infrastructure and on the sort of corporate and, and business side just what type of organizations uh, can be run and developed around that so a lot of things related to new product development new product management things that sort of get housed under the innovation lab concept um, at the time we were working on a on I think three big innovation lab projects around the country um, but we were really interested in being a consultancy that was based in Jacksonville or based in Florida um, my partner at the time uh, came from a marketing background and so marketing was going through this same sort of like sea change of oh shoot marketing isn't just about you know sending mailers out to people and getting people excited it's about leveraging the social infrastructure that exists social media infrastructure and and starting to use some really intelligent techniques to, to actually show people things that they want not just blast people with um you know and endless ad nauseum terrible advertising so uh he and i aligned really closely on uh intent and purpose and had very different skill sets and so we came together and built a really cool consultancy um i the only reason i really left that was i got the opportunity to join um a company in silicon valley uh that was a space company so in 2016 i joined made in space um uh, running product strategy for them great company we did some really really cool stuff together but i just uh honestly wasn't that interested in staying in silicon valley the company is cool. The context of space industry is cool, but I really found myself as I like neared my thirties, um, wanting to come back to the, the East coast in a place that I could settle down. And, um, so I reached out to my consulting network. I've done a lot of work in, in New York city and, um, the founder of this company, Aaron and I started talking and we're like, man, there's some cool projects we could do together. And I wound up moving here and joined, uh, eventually became a, a partner and so now we don't really build innovation labs anymore we've kind of gone I like to say like up the stack uh, we really work on kind of whole cloth cultural and, and technological transformation where we're actually like rethinking the, the sort of DNA of these very large corporate entities um, by running projects that are 
you might think about it like distributed innovation. So instead of like, hey, innovation happens over here in this this side project, it's actually something that we're helping every single team think about how to how to harness new ways of working, new ways of thinking, from developing technology all the way to thinking like, okay, so how does HR change in the context of like cloud-based information management? So yeah, so I noticed you know yeah you're working with a lot of big companies. So so you're uh, the, the company you're with now is called The Ready, um, and you're really you're you're helping these companies rethink the innovation within their own organization, their own company, and they are. Uh, tell me a little bit more about you know uh, we were talking earlier about uh, how a lot of companies you know they they cut uh, you know they're always looking to, to to invest in the right places so you know make their make their stock, uh, you know, right. <laughs> uh, the people who, who invest in their company happy with, with, their, with their investments, but, uh, but it sometimes that comes at the risk of, of stifling innovation within their own company. Um, also, uh, you know, we also know that if you look at, you know, you've probably seen these lists over and over, if you look at the top 100 companies 50 years ago in the, in the country, most of them are not even in the top 100 <laughs> anymore. Right. Because, and so when you think of like, who's the big company today, um, and then where will they be in 50 years? Uh, so, uh, but tell me a little bit more about how you're helping uh, some of these uh, companies. And, and are they large, small, everything in between? Uh, tell me a little bit more about the profile of the companies that you guys are working with. Yeah, so generally I'd say our focus is the enterprise level, global, you know, Fortune 100, Fortune 500. So companies that are operating at a tremendous scale, both in the sense of their marketplace and their headcount. Um, we do some work with some startups and some emerging technology companies, but our, our kind of core operation is focused on uh, large existing enterprise firms, um, which, and when you're talking about doing innovation or rethinking strategy in, in publicly traded companies, it's a little bit different than what you might see if you're going to jump in with a startup or even a, a company like Uber that's big and probably isn't really effectively described as a startup but you know still privately held they have a lot of freedom um though yeah. maybe less than they thought <laughs> so well yeah i was going to say though i mean do you, are startups they're are they more innovative because that's kind of the nature of a startup like to be innovative from the you know to create something new um versus like a, a larger company that may have a lot more money and a lot more uh, research and all these sorts of things but they kind of get locked into uh, kind of the traditional way of doing things? Yeah, I mean, I think that's like a, an interesting question that we're wrestling with a lot. Um, I, th I think it's easy to point at companies that are doing net new activities and on the kind of like upward trajectory of whatever they're, they're building and think of them as like, these are really innovative firms. But I think the truth is that there's a maintenance aspect to innovation or a maintenance aspect to anything that you build. And there's a lot of innovative behavior that goes into like maintaining something that's good and even maintaining and scaling it at a slow pace. So you take a company like GE, who we've worked with off and on for, for many years, um, and the way that they have to think about maintaining or scaling businesses that you know 100,000 people support still requires innovative thinking. It's just that that innovation isn't as much. It's, a, it's distributed concurrent innovation that's happening a million times and very, very tiny change, rather than something like again in uber who's saying like 
cool, we're going to fundamentally rethink like how people do personal logistics, right? And if you look at a company like Uber, the way that they work and change today is a lot different than five years ago. So I think that we're, we tend to be really interested and focused on like how how change is dealt with by these really large companies. They have fiduciary responsibilities. They have oversight and reporting. They're responsible to the SEC. So the way, legal, from a legal standpoint, the way that they're even allowed to approach risk is, is different um, in the way that they have to dis- disclose risk-taking uh, is different than maybe, you know, something that you and I started in a, in a garage. Um, so I, th- I think that one of the big things that we're seeing change is the way that these companies are are thinking about risk it used to be like cool we have to do what's best this quarter and what's best next quarter and these sort of short short cycle management of their you know of their firms um and what we've realized is that might be good in terms of delivering shareholder value today but it can oftentimes compromise you wind up really entrenching uh you know what's a good idea today may not be a good idea in in even three quarters much less three years or 30 years so when you have to then go rewrite or change the way that the business is operating you have to actually uh, unstick a bunch of organizational and technical debt in order to go make a change well then it becomes costly so you've actually increased you've just backloaded the risk um, by sort of like front loading the experiment so what we we try to do is say like okay so why don't we take a long-term view and make sure that we're making decisions that are, you know, defensible today, but at the same time are are made in such a way that they can scale and can change and limit organizational debt. Because what we really need is companies that, even while big and scaled, can still respond to change. Because that's actually the, the, the thing that will define companies in the future. That's our core conceit is... You know, it's no longer about like who who's at the top of the game today. It's about who can, who has the re- resiliency and adaptivity to stay at the top of their game or move into the market spaces that that they need to. Um, companies, you know, that I, I there used to be this example of how I, I think uh, I forget which company it was, but it took like a hundred and sorry, like. 1200 days to go from concept to like development of a spoon um which is like and i think that was actually celebrated as fast at the at the time because they you know they went to this like scaled manufacturing but then we think about like you know again realistically a few people could sit down and launch a a pretty sophisticated piece of technology in in a weekend right um and so we want to make sure that we're taking the taking advantage of the ability to do short cycle development um, that's iterative more than saying hey we're going to go release one perfect thing and we're going to take three years to to do it um, but then at the same time i think the mistake that a lot of companies make is they're like yeah we want this like agile like innovative development process we're also thinking about like okay so how do you maintain the business that that you've like launched how do you continue to grow and make that adaptive because it's very easy to be like oh we made a successful spoon product over the weekend now we're gonna like be the spoon company and you know the the truth is what we're really trying to do is is be companies that are are purposeful and you know that that means um really human beings are the best at sensing and responding technology is actually pretty terrible at that technology is good at like 
when it has like predictable inputs giving you predictable outputs that may be changing but uh so what we really try to do as a general rule is like leverage technology and the, the new kind of advantages of, of technology to to take the kind of rote tasks the repeatable sort of functional stuff off of people's plates and give more space for humans to do the kind of complex pattern recognition and complex planning that we're actually really good at so so um your uh your business partner aaron uh is the one who started the ready yeah aaron's the original um progenitor of the ready as a business and how long ago was that when did he start it it was 2015 i believe um yeah and he had been with a firm he had uh, been the ceo of a firm that did somewhat similar work called undercurrent um they kind of came onto the scene via doing some really really innovative kind of social marketing and and product development for organizations and then really shifted into strategy and organization design that was how aaron and i met originally because that's what my firm was was doing uh my old firm and so after he started the ready you know, there's again kind of a, a convergence of, of minds among probably a lot of the people you see on our our team page being like, oh yeah, we've all been doing this in other spaces. Like we should do it together. So. Yeah, that's great. Um, so and how? When did you come on board here? January, 2017. Like literally, I think the second of January. So, <laughs> so a little over a year. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and had you been in New York before? Like, were you living here then? Yeah, I've had. Uh, an apartment off and on <laughs> my life has been funny i've i've for the last probably five or six years i've lived in more than one place at the same time so i've had an apartment here off and on since 2015 so. yeah you know i noticed that because it was always hard for me to catch up with you <laughs> wait does he live in new york or jacksonville or he's yeah, in california well, right now what's what's going on here um and we were uh catching up here just before the interview and uh, in your personal life, you've been able—you've actually taken a vacation now, and you don't—you know—tell me how vacations factor in and out of your life. And I know you just went to Spain. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I—I I was telling you, like, um, my general approach, like, I'm—you know—I don't have a family or anything, and uh, like, I love what I do. I'm r really, really my life is built around that. And so I, I always kind of joke that I just have an in integrated work life. Um, whereas a lot of people I think are pushing for a quote work life balance. And I'm like, I don't know, man, like I, I enjoy work and traveling for work. And so usually what I do is I just, I'm like, cool, I'll be in Colorado. I'm going to see friends and ski for a couple of extra days or like, I'm going to be in California. I'll surf. Um, and since joining the ready, uh, the responsibility that I have to the company is is um, much more distributed. I'm not like a center point the way that I maybe was as as like a, a sole leader. And my peers here have been like, take vacation, please take time sure. off. And so finally, for my 30th birthday, um, I took like 10 days and went to Spain. It was really, it was pretty restorative. And I think the coolest thing was actually uh, taking space away from the company allowed I think some of my partners and peers the opportunity to like step in other spaces and flourish and so I was able to come back and and provide some guidance rather than you know continue like forging ahead and doing things on my own what is your role at the ready 
so I hold a couple of different roles. Um, our structure is somewhat unique. We don't really have, um, I think what most people would think of in a management consultancy is you have like a pretty rigid hierarchy based on like experience and stuff. Um, we do note kind of levels of experience, but that doesn't directly relate to people's roles. So I am, we call it a core partner. So I'm a W2 employee of the business. Um, I hold a system administrator role. So all of our technology and kind of user management in, in our environment, all the security and, and technology side of what we do, um, kind of falls under my my influence my purview um, and then as well I also hold a consulting and advisory role for our projects so I I work I directly consult on two projects and then advise a number of other projects that we have um, so which is I think probably what most people expect to hear is like who's the boss <laughs> and who reports to them and we all kind of like we're very emergent in the way that we take on and hold those roles so um, you know it's somewhat fluid and a little bit confusing for people but it works really well for us uh, because it has more to do with like what needs exist at a given time who is present has bandwidth and uh, experience and influence to fill those roles and then step into them so um, how big is the team at the ready I think we're 30 now I it, again it's somewhat fluid it, it, it the project load determines we have a we have a network structure so we have a, a group of kind of you might even call it like preferred contractors these are people who um, are at a stage of their career where they have some level of, of independence but they still want to be working with the company not totally solo so they work with us to fill um, we, we have a pretty large amount of business in California, Northern California, and, and like um, the Mountain West. And so a lot of the people that are filling those roles are people who are contractor from a legal structure, but very integrated. You know, they're people who can still participate in the governance of the business. Um, so as projects ebb and flow, sometimes you have those people go on hiatus because, you know, a three month project ended. But I think that we're we we range at any given time between like 25 and 30 right now probably expect to i, I would expect that we probably double that this year um so is there ever going to be a point with your growth at the ready that you're going to need a company like the ready to come in and help you restructure and re-innovate i think that if we do things right the answer is no um that being said i think we're humble enough to recognize and constantly be looking at the thinking that you know other other peers of ours in the consulting industry are, are you know what they're doing so i think we voraciously consume the outputs of of like mckinsey and boston consulting group and and pivotal you know these companies i think are doing really really important work rethinking their own structure you know i mean mckinsey and bcg were instrumental in in like taking us into the era that you know of the the 90s and i think they're having to do some some rethinking of what their strategy and offering is and it's it's you know i, I think that we'd be uh crazy not to like respect the their domain knowledge even while thinking like hey we may we may have a key that you don't have um you know but uh hopefully and and this is the the idea behind our 
organizational design is that it should be fundamentally modifiable, extensible, adaptable. And I think the part that doesn't come up is it should be fun and human. Um, so we actually look for how much people are enjoying their, their work here as, as some level of signal. Um, you know, if, if it's really arduous uh, and frustrating and stressful for, for people to be part of our company, uh, we usually take that as a as a sign that we need to look carefully at what we're doing. The reality is, like, business at this level is a hard thing. So s sometimes it's just a matter of like, cool, we need to like wrap that person up in support and and recognize that this is going to be a really tough project because you know the goal is really big. But sometimes um, we've had moments where we're like, wow, this is really not the right right work for us to be doing. Um, you know, and it's really cool, I think, to to look at somebody who's having a, a hard time and be able to to say, hey, like we should we should walk out of that project. That that company isn't really they don't really want to buy what it is that we're offering or, or whatever, you know. So I think that it's about constantly reviewing and revising. And I think the funniest thing is like even over the course of the last 18 months, our structure has changed pretty dramatically, uh, even as we I think. When I joined, I want to say I was like the sixth person to join. Um, you know, so even as so you guys have had pretty pretty good growth then in that yeah, time. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean we we like doubled I think, uh, or maybe even tripled in revenue yeah. this year. Oh great! And uh, you guys work with a lot of I mean major, very recognizable major companies. I mean you mentioned uh, GE before. Um, I see on your website you tout Microsoft and Uber and Airbnb and uh, also, you've even got uh, nonprofits like Charity Water. Yeah. Uh, tell me, what are? Give me just a couple examples, and you know, wh whatever you can divulge to us of uh, types of projects that some of these companies and organizations have you working on with them. Yeah. So the work that we do, we always say like we sell one thing, and that's transformation. But the truth is that, like that one thing is there's a lot of diverse activity that can happen within it. Um, typically, our engagements take one of two forms, though. We either sell uh, like nine month, 12 month, 18 month projects where we're going in uh, as a consulting team. We go in really lean. It formerly in my career, I've done two year projects with as one of like 18 or 20 consultants. I think we do, we take this the same scope of approach, but we'll do it with two or three consultants, which is nice for the client because it's a little bit cheaper. Um, but we come in and say like, okay, what's the blast radius you know so for example right now we're working with a big bank in their technology organization and uh you know the we're working with their infrastructure organization which is about 1500 people um so the goal is to transform that organization and make it more adaptive and meaningful in its work um but the the conceit is we're going to start very small, right? So we're going to establish a small team that's working in a new way. Maybe it depends a little bit on the, you know, the context, but a team that's all been maintenance oriented for 20 years, like maybe learning some new development and, and like how to harness innovation practice, but do it in such a way that like it's actually sustainable and actually doesn't, doesn't disrupt what their core work is which is maintenance of a of an environment you know a, a bank needs to have an adaptable i mean, needs to have a stable and secure environment even while being an adaptable environment the other that's typically the way that we engage with clients that's that's probably 
the that's by far the majority of our business is these like longer kind of deep practice transformation efforts uh, we also occasionally will do um, like shorter cycle kind of workshop where what that blast radius will be scoped down very small and so we'll take like a leadership team that just needs to be um, exposed to maybe some some new ways of thinking maybe it's a new leadership team that doesn't have much trust or knowledge of each other yet and so we'll kind of lay out some we'll do a two or three day off-site with them where we facilitate a, a again still it's still the same stuff still new ways of working learning how to work in a way that like is transparent and and leveraging new tools like maybe slack and and trello to to work in a public space rather than single tenant email like i email you and then you email somebody else and you basically play a game of telephone um but even those are usually done in the context of clients that we're already doing other transformation effort in we we don't typically engage just on a workshop level so well it's it's great to hear all these things because a lot of times um you know different people i've interviewed or even just come across um who are entrepreneurs and we're growing their business they there always seems to be um especially for you know ones who've really grown their business larger uh these points um so we're not, we're not talking the scale of ge or microsoft right. but um you know maybe somebody who has a 50 person business or a 30 person business and employees and you know but it was like oh we hit this one point you know a few years ago where we just really uh managing growth was it, it's constant i even you know i see this in nonprofits too totally. managing growth like you've gotten to a, such a level but then how do you go to the next level and so it's great to see that you're advising people in kind of similar ways um of how to how to do that um i've got a couple last questions for you because yep. i know uh um, you're a busy guy here uh, things move fast in a new york minute um <laughs> so um but uh one is a little bit inspired by a book I'm reading right now, um, just almost finished by uh, Senator Ben Sass called The Vanishing American Adult. But uh, one of the things he says he asks a lot of people, and I'm going to incorporate this now into probably every interview, so I'm just getting uh, the audience ready. Okay. Um, what it was your first job? Mm. Man, my first job, so I was really lucky. I grew up in a family that had um, a business. My great-grandfather started a, a wholesale produce company buy basically buying from farmers and selling to like grocery stores and stuff um and that business my father was the third generation um in in that company and i i was the fourth uh so my first job was grading onions and moving potatoes off of train cars into a a warehouse um i think i was 12 years old uh and i think i maybe by the end of the summer kind of snuck around and was driving the the yard dog which is like a a tractor trailer engine that you use to move um you know container trucks around so i think i think i convinced somebody to let me do that <laughs> but probably uh only thing that w only time that would work is in a family business oh for sure <laughs> for sure yeah I, my dad's probably not very happy to hear me disclosing that but <laughs> It was it was a great experience because you know I was I was young it's very manual labor and I think the thing that was was funniest I probably had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder because my name's on the side of the the building and stuff and the greatest lesson was like nobody cared it was like 
those onions aren't graded correctly. You can't put rotten onions in a bag. Get back to the beginning of the line. Learn how to do this work. You know, and so even though uh, I was really lucky in that they had hired and trained well, and their foreman didn't give a, a crap what your name was. You know, it was work. It had to be done. It had to be done at a standard of excellence that you know wouldn't wouldn't compromise the name. So I mean, I think the biggest lessons that I took away was. Uh, are related to like how quality is in the details uh, I'll never forget uh, so one time I think probably the next summer but I, I was in a parking lot we were do we had like a like a parking lot sale of um, you know fruits and vegetables and I, I think it was pumpkins we did like a pumpkin patch and you know I was staffing that probably 13 years old at this this point I remember I was standing there with my hands in, in my pocket and uh, you know, there's nobody around. It was like the dead part of the day, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, the foreman who who runs the lot, like, walked over to me and was like, "Get your hands out of your pockets, boy. Your grandfather, you know, crud a brick if if he saw it." And it was just so cool because I think that was continually reinforced that like it doesn't matter how how big the name is or big you know your britches are you got to deliver incredible work in every single detail whether that your details is, are pumpkins and fruit in a parking lot or pixels in a graphic design or excellence in in management consulting you know it's it's a focus on quality isn't isn't just like having the big idea or having the big name it's it's doing the right thing constantly so it was cool great well um thank you for that and uh last question uh you know now that you've uh, you're at the ripe old age of thirty, uh, and you've you've actually had a lot of work experience from the time you were twelve. I mean, you've been at, you've been at work for eighteen years now. Uh, so, uh, uh, but but also all, just all the experiences you've had and everything. What what kind of advice would you give to uh, would be entrepreneurs? Uh, and uh, uh, you know, I know that's a very broad question, and there's a lot of different types of work people can go into. But uh, maybe someone who's trying to start their own company or, or trying to to bring some kind of new innovation to the marketplace. I think. Probably the biggest thing, I mean, there's a lot of good advice out there for people like that. I, I think the biggest thing, when I think about the difference between my, you know, best, most successful efforts and the ones that I really failed the hardest is I, I used, when I was younger, I thought it was about having a good idea and timing in the marketplace. But I think the, the critical thing for me has been having peers and, and partners, um, certainly partners in the effort and then peers in a community um nobody well there's probably people who can do it alone but i think most of us can't um and and the emotional side of trying to 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 do really any business by yourself is is hard i mean that's the coolest thing and it was a big motivation for me joining the ready was like i'm in this community of people and you know unified in this this effort to drive you know change into a, a pretty complicated marketplace you know and we're 30 people trying to compete with storied companies like McKinsey or Pivotal um, you know and I, I think y you can certainly do that stuff alone but a partner who you're really aligned with is going to be um, a force multiplier and probably a humbling force for you you know so leverage the community and leverage partners because um, that's that's the thing that I, I think is really uh, has unlocked success for me. 
Well, great. Well, uh, it sounds like you've got a big community here in New York City. So uh, hopefully, and I know you're you're leveraging a lot of uh, a lot of people. Um, for people who want to know more about the Ready, they can go to theready.com. And uh, and just want to thank you for being with us on the Agents of Innovation podcast, Spencer Pittman. Thanks, man. Thank you so much for having me. We're all together now. Look at what we found. Something to live for and someone to live it with. Here are hearts and minds, one in love and time. We'll be the statues that last through a lifetime. We're all too